How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today is part two with Brett Contreras and Coach Kasim, all things glutes. Just as a bit of a sidebar, you might want to be on YouTube viewing this if you're not, just because there's quite a lot of visual demonstration that goes on. It is normally described, but if you feel a bit lost, maybe you want to check out the YouTube video, just as an FYI. And they do talk a lot about seated abduction, what muscles are really being used during that. They talk about what makes a good exercise. And uh, I think you're going to really take a lot away from this episode, guys. So as a reminder, though, we do also have lots of information and lots of great content and educational content coming from our newsletter. We've been putting more effort into that. Pascal's been working very hard on this and giving out some freebies even and letting you know if there's any kind of seminars and products coming out that might be something you want to look into. So if you aren't already signed up to our newsletter, definitely check the link out in our bio so you can sign up and get all that goodness. But without further ado, let's get into the show. Well, to, to me, I, I guess, yeah, but to me, I look at that and I think that glute max would be, and also from palpating. So the seated hip abduction is one of the weirdest exercises because I've got competitors and I've, as you saw, I showed you earlier, I have one in my garage. When they get lean, you can see what muscles are contracting. Like my client Masa, you'll see her lower, lower, lower glute max light up gets rock hard. I have an EMG her, but it looks like it's probably, and I felt her glutes, her low, the lowest coccygeal fibers. I think it's one of her best low glute max exercises. It, I mean, you can see it. It lights up. I have a video of it. But here's Can I say I, two things on that before, before you move on? Just to kind of, so um, in regards to palpation and visibly seeing it, right? When, it look, when we look at palpation, if we look at what you can perceive, and this is just something we've tried to workshop ourselves. Is this like once you get like above like ten percent effort, you really can't perceive any like so like Steve, if you held like a five pound dumbbell, right, and you kind of felt your bicep, and then you held like a twenty pound dumbbell, it would be really hard to perceive the difference, right? And you could probably curl like a fifty pound dumbbell, like if you just had to sit there and hold it for a few seconds, you would have no ability to perceive palpatory the difference between maybe like a ten and a 50 pound dumbbell. And in terms of visibility, especially in lean people, you can see the antagonist muscles create tension because just because a muscle tenses, like that will visibly create that, but that doesn't tell you there's that it's a high degree of tension. So in terms of those proxies validating this, I just wanna put that out there that I'm just not gonna accept like that palpating the muscle means that this is a good exercise or visibly being able to see it. You know, I mean, I've also been, you know, in the physique industry for, you know, ever, and you get people that are lean and jacked and like stuff just looks like it's working all the time. If there's any tension in the body at that given time, like they're, you know, so point, I, I don't want to say there's zero, but I have very low confidence. Point, right. But I, in my yeah, case, I'm not like just some, I'm a PhD. I'm a little, 
and Hopefully. palpation. Well, <laughs> those cops who have radar guns and they're like, I can predict, I can predict that person's speed going over the hill within five, within three miles per hour. And they're like, that dude's doing 67. And then they radar them. They get so good at it. They, they're like a human radar. I feel like I'm a human EMG. Like I'm really good at, I feel like I can. I don't know how the hell we would prove that, but, my, <laughs> provide that. but I do think that I see your point. That's why we need numerical things mm-hmm. um, rather than just, oh, I pop it or look, you can see it. But I do think you can see, I mean, but I'm always honed in on that because people come mm-hmm. to me with nice boots. But let's move on. Uh, interestingly, out of all these, these are the hip rotators, right? So mm-hmm. the piriformis actually has the worst line of pull out of the deep out of all of them. Oh, these ones are pure horizontal. That's in hip the- extension. Huh? That's in hip extension. What happens when they go into hip flexion? The femur goes like this, and that point becomes over here, and then it has an axis to move the trochanter just like this. Change? You're saying that these all change, and if the, yeah. if the femur comes up? This, yeah, as, as the knee goes up, all like of that more, starts to go. More horizontal lines of pull compared to the piriformis. And that's been, set, that's been talked about in several studies that the pirif- uh, with the exception of the piriformis, the other, the, the other five have almost pure horizontal lines of pull. So if you're just going by lines of pull, why wouldn't you name the other, the hemellus, the obturator, all, all that? Yeah, I mean, I, well, because it depends on the degree of hip flexion that you're in, right? And so basically all of those muscles are doing abduction in varying degrees of flexion, right? The lowest ones being, I think, the externus, and then you're working into the t- the two gemelli, and then the superior obturator. I can't remember the exact order off of the top of my head, right? It's because those obturator muscles are the ones that are confusing because of the way they pull. Right. And because you have to look at that, not just in that, but you have to look at it from the back too, so that you can see that. But as you go into hip flexion, the orientation of all those is different. So a horizontal, what has a horizontal line of pull and extension is going to be different than what has it at flexion. And then it's not just how it lines up. It's that moment arm around the trochanter that matters. Right. Well, speak so, just because as the came to mind. I always hear you talk about line of pull, line of pull, path of motion, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk more about moment arm? Why don't you use the more biomechanical term moment arm instead of always talking about line of pull? Well, they're different things, right? But um, which is more important? Which is more important? Or line like, of pull. Line of pull has been whatever, when it, when it, what we've been able to extract is more important, especially if you're going by EMJ, meaning that something could have a very good moment arm but it's indirect and what we tend to see is even though it could participate because its degree of participation is indirect which would mean that another muscle would somehow have to counter part of the force that muscle tends not to get as much recruitment as the thing that can participate but doesn't require as much co-contraction or counter force to do the motion so line of pull seems to be seems to be what we, well, that's what we prioritize because that seems to be the thing that biases tissue more because through every motion, you have changes in leverage 
across tissue, right? Like the moment arm goes, you know, changes across tissue. And what you, if you're moving in a specific path of motion that matches the line of pull, the dominant tissue tends to stay dominant over that. Not, it doesn't just jump to something else when it becomes disadvantageous. Right? Well, let's say I've got a, I'm trying to tip this over. And you got me, 6'4", 250 pounds, and I'm pushing this, but I'm at an angle. I'm pushing mm -hmm. it at a slight angle. Mm -hmm. I've got a large moment arm, and I'm a big unit. <laughs> and then you've got a small child. And the small mm -hmm. child is right here, and he's pushing right here, trying to tip this guy, and it's planted. You're saying the brain would recruit this because it's a perfectly horizontal line of pull rather than me who has a much greater moment arm, even though it's not a perfect, I'm pushing at an angle. Why wouldn't the brain say this guy's the best guy for the job? Because there's got to be specificity to the movement, meaning that you can't just, your brain's not trying to push the skeleton anywhere. Your brain is trying to push the skeleton to a very specific spot. So that means even though you being in bigger, if you're going to push the skeleton in the wrong spot, the brain is not going to recruit you. It's going to recruit the thing that is going in the vector that you're trying to get. Let's say you have a, in the case of the piriformis, right? So mm -hmm. okay, moving on. Um, So if you want to make the point that those other muscles are also active in 90 degrees of abduction, yes. If you, but in our model, the one that is the most lined up is that. And then the other ones start to come in as we start to drop lower than 90 degrees. Well, I would love to see, so here's the deal. There's not a single published study looking at transverse plane moment arms. Um, for hip abduction, yeah. there's there's hip rotation, there's hip external mm -hmm. internal rotation, there's uh, there's frontal plane hip abduction, but there's no no studies looking at transverse. But you can use open sim, okay? And if mm -hmm. you use open sim and you look at what are the muscle moments in 90 degrees of hip flexion, you can see that here's the piriformis, here's the glute max. It's generating way more torque than the piriformis. Um, they might have similar moment arms, but they have, this has a much, it's a much bigger muscle. And now if you go into more, um, if you go into even greater amounts of hip flexion, 120 degrees, like if you lean forward even more, it's even bigger mm -hmm. at 120 degrees. So the piriformis doesn't really do much and the glute max does a lot. And then here I have contributors. So I, I did 90 degrees of hip flexion, 45 degrees of hip flexion, and then 120 degrees of hip flexion just to show all of them. Mm -hmm. And you can see with the glute max, um, the glute max you get, uh, you get, so like, yeah, piriformis is always, not, no matter what level, it's never even coming close to the glute max, except at a except at like a 30 degree hip angle so are you saying that the open sim model is wrong i'm saying that the open sim model is very limited in terms of the context that it applies have you right? ever looked at the 
the opens like you've, you've actually studied the openson model and critique yeah it. and so yeah and so when you're looking when you're trying to use it and you because what you would need to be able to do is you would need to be able to it would need to be able to know at this point in time the exact force that that's going to produce not you putting in this is the motion that is going to occur if that makes sense what you would need to do is the equivalent of yes you know botoxing every other muscle and then just putting in this so if we say that okay the glute max does have a moment for abduction here but the abduction moment that it has is not the only moment that it has because it also has a moment for extension there so you have to take into the context that because it has that moment for the extension there as well if the movement that you're doing is not abduction with extension even though the piriformis in there may look like it's the littler guy right is is that it might actually do a little bit and now let's let's just let's just put it out there that the deep hip muscles are not your primary movers right and i don't want to waste a whole bunch of time of us sitting over here and fighting over the exact like angle of the piriformis if we want to do that we can get together with you know with some bones and some models and some with one of our lab kits or whatever and we can play around because i'm not saying that the glutes would do nothing there my stance is that if i wanted to do abduction for the iliac fibers the glute max or for the glute medius it's not going to be in that transverse plane like straight like that it is going to be something that like is coming like if this is my torso and this is my leg here, like it would be coming like up and across and then down yeah. and out type 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 of thing, right? We'll and to, I mean, Kaz, we'll get to that in a second. So the glute the glute medius kickback or whatever. But I do want to bring this up because this is OpenSim was created by Scott Delp, a Stanford biomechanist, and then these, these models have been approved upon by the world's top biomechanists, whoever existed, and then they this is the accepted model and if this is true i'm not saying it is true then then this is 13 times more the glute max does 13 times more than the piriformis for seated hip abduction and a certain point of range of motion and the post you made and all of your colleagues that went on and on the post heard around the world was that the glute max does nothing nothing zero nada and then all it's all piriformis but i think it's more likely that the glute max does 70% of it, the piriformis does 15% of it, the other hip external rotators do the other 15%. I just want to point that out that that's if, if so let's put context is, to this. False this false post. And you've made this post over and over and over. And then Paul Carter has made it like 10 times over the last two years. And the posts that he makes are like, all you guys are such idiots, you stupid more. And then you'll see in the comments. Hey, are you sure this doesn't work a little bit? And he'll be like, it's 100% piriformis. You guys don't understand biomechanics. And then you'll have actual biomechanics come on before they get blocked and deleted and say, hey, that's not the way the body works. We have synergies. We have, you know, like the way the body works is that you have, um, you know, the glute medius is going to help out a little bit. The glute max is going to help out these things that all have moments. Because if you got paralyzed, if your piriformis got torn, you wouldn't be able to do that's a very athletic movement. And so you'd be kind of just, you know, I, I printed this off a good old Ricky Henderson from back in the day. That's like a seated mm -hmm. hip. Of He's getting ready to steal a base. If this were all piriformis, then the piriformis is one of the most athletic muscles in the body. But I can do seated hip abduction with the, I have like this craziest, 
seated hip abduction strength. I have to buy a special pin and put four 45 pound plates on and I can still do 15 reps. So this little thin muscle can move a stack for 20 reps, like a stack plus four extra plates. So like 400, 450 pounds for 20 reps. No, that can't be muscle force. that would have the craziest moment on ever and it doesn't. So what I'm trying to say is, do you think you went a little overboard in that statement? Like, you do I say, think I would rather work? You could have said, I don't like this because of this reason. I prefer you to do this, but it was the post that I saw over and over and over and over. And then on TikTok, the TikTok crew got on it. And it was basically this works no glutes, no glutes at yeah. all. Well, I mean, please try not to conflate me so much with the, the hand me down stuff, right? EMG study looking at the seated hip abduction versus they did mm -hmm. bands versus seated hip abduction. And in this EMG study, glute max got to, you know, 73% um, machine, 70% of MVIC, you know, that's pretty mm -hmm. good. 70% of glute max uh, EMG and uh, even higher for the glute medius, interestingly. So I know yeah, the, so the glute medius would be better in that position. I think the glute max is judging by fiber angles and the line of pull and all that in the moment arms, but it, and then I did, and then here's an interesting thing I wanted to show you because this is before back in the day when I did more EMG stuff. This is where I think a lot of the confusion comes in. I put on some seated hip abduction machines and I do it and I'm like, oh my God, my glutes feel like they're, and I'm, smart enough to know my glute max versus my piriformis okay and i'm like oh my and i have a pump my glutes feel like they're getting the best workout and i've been on other seated hip abduction machines where i feel it more in my tfl i don't feel but i also think there's an anatomical component to it for example here's um here's moment arms of six specimens this is interesting one specimen had uh for the gluteus maximus, a moment arm of 67 millimeters and 100 millimeters for the different glute max fibers. So she was a woman. There's, there's, there were four men and two women, and the woman had a 6.7 centimeter moment arm for the upper glutes and a 10 centimeter for the lower glutes. And then you look at specimen six, had a 18 millimeters and 22 millimeters, 1.8 1.8 millimeters, uh, sorry, uh, centimeters and 2.2. So you're getting five times the moment arm. There's, there's, this individual variability has to be considered. Some people probably aren't going to like seated hip abductions much, but it's just like every exercise. But then here's an interesting thing. This is Devin and this is Aaron. This is back, this is must be 10 years ago. I gave him band seated hip abduction. So not quite the seated hip abduction machine, but here, here's a, and I know you don't like when I say upper glute max versus lower glute max. I do agree. No, with that's you. fine. I do agree that I should say which fibers. I just chose to not confuse people and say, and it's also hard to know when you put the EMG electrode on, am I exactly on the, well, the iliac fibers, but am I on the sacral or the coccygeal fibers? It's hard to know exactly. But anyway, this is Aaron gets... 77% mean for the upper glute max and a 130 peak. And for the lower, she got 43 mean and 88 peak. Now, Devin and Aaron loves 
band work. She loves abduction. Devin was a powerlifter, and she's like, Brett, I don't feel my glutes when I do any abduction. Her form looks good. I'm palpating. I'm like, what the heck? It's like your glute max does not, or glute medias don't even, what, what does it? Her external rotators, they don't tense up. Well, it, it made sense because when I EMG'd her, she only got 28 mean and 66 peak, 66 peak, and then 23 mean and 60 peak for the lower. So I just told Devin, don't ever do abduction movements. Those aren't your movements. But I told Aaron, you're getting more activation. I know activation doesn't mean motor recruitment, tension, hypertrophy. But I did say to her, I go, you get more in a band seated hip abduction than you get with like a max squat. So, but you can only do max squats a couple of times a week. You could do these band stuff every day. And I, should, I wish I could show you her before and after pictures. Um, but her, she, her glutes changed dramatically. And I, I called her the crazy band woman. I made a YouTube video on her like eight years ago. She did all this band work. And I think for her, abduction works amazing. I've got a few of my girls that they love abduction movements. And this is a poll with 13,681 people. It's kind of funny. I said, which, ex which glute exercise generates the most tension and glute activation? And this is the glute bridge. This is the hip thrust. This is just a poll with my followers. Obviously, they're probably going to be biased because they, they follow my work and they do hip thrust. But they still, these are the population that cares about their glutes the most. This was squat, deadlift, lunge, step up, back extension, good morning, leg press. They're all very low. And then the third was the seated hip abduction. Seated hip abduction got higher than all these, which cracked me up because I don't believe that. I don't think this seated, but I know they feel the sensation. It's just interesting that people do, a lot of people do feel like the seated hip abduction works them very well. And I do think you're not giving people credit for being able to discern between all I ever heard from people was you're too stupid to know the difference between your piriformis and your glute max. And it's like, come on, I, I know the difference when I do it. So my point, my question to you is, are you open-minded to being a little off there or do you think you could have worded it a little differently so it wasn't so polarizing? Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Uh, I'm sure I could have worded it differently um, to be not so polarizing, um, you know, in, especially in the context of social media. But I mean, in the context of the way that we teach, you know, and again, you know, this this one of the faults of social media is, is being able to try and get a message out in a short period of time with a little bit of, con you know, very little context um, as is then, you know, then that gets taken and it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and that information just tends to degrade over time. So um, again, I'm going to try and go back and recoup, recoup as much of that. So in terms of the modeling, right, you know, um, just if, if we're looking at the models of the moment arms in that context, I just don't want people to interpret that of like, that means that this works 13 times more than the other, because that is not what the open sim sh shows, um, right? It's just giving you those moment arms in that specific direction, which is different than the actual force that the muscle would be contributing that is gonna include all of the directions that it's gonna pull, the sum, the sum of it, right? Can I finish one? 
These are, well, you got that wrong. These are moments, not moment arms. We can plot on OpenSim moment arms, active force, passive force, total force, and moments. So this is the actual torque that it's responsible for. So this is actually what you're talking about. It is the, the torque. It's not, it's not saying the moment, moment arms. Those are the moments. Yeah. But in that specific force vector. This is okay. the well, well let, let's move. This is that this is that's too complicated for the, the listener for this for this anyway, right? I'm lost. <laughs> um, yes, it's it's white. It's 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 white, right? Um, and I mean the, we shouldn't like we shouldn't be getting this deep into the weeds on in, in this format with this, but let me see if I can wrap this up a little bit. So if we're looking at the seated abduction, is it correct to say it's zero glutes. No, right? Is it correct to say in that position there that that would be the best path of motion to train the glutes? I would also say no, right? If we are talking about the glute max and we actually get division specific, like two thirds of the glute max, which attaches down to the gluteal tuberosity, right? In that position would actually be pulling the other direction. Per se, right? So, like, and and we we've tested this stuff, and we've literally taken the sensors all across the ilium, all the way down to the coccyx. So, like, literally, we've taken all nine of the sensors to cover like that whole portion of the glute, and then look at all right, abduction at ninety degrees, abduction at seventy degrees, abduction at fifty degrees, abduction all the way down to neutral, etc. Abduction with extension and whatnot to see how that shifts. And when you look at the lower two divisions, right, they get very very little. I mean, they're basically in a stabilization role as we're getting to those but the superficial the iliac portion of that glute max absolutely is involved in that abduction right but it's also involved with everything else so when we look at like well okay but i can do a lot of load and it's like well that's because you're getting the sum of all of the deep hip abductors you're getting the superficial fibers of the glute max and you're getting the glute medius all kind of contributing together. And the reason they're so good at working together right there is because that motion does not line up with any of them specifically. So you're going to get kind of like what we call like this omni motion where transverse abduction there in terms of the superficial hip muscles is a collective effort. In terms of the deep hip muscles, there's a bias more towards one of them, right? Now, my stance when, when we're looking at this is like, if you want to do a seated abduction, by all means, do seated abduction. In fact, we have one coming, right, just to do that. I think it's a good motion to train abduction in a variety of degrees of hip flexion extension, you right? But machine. what'd you say? You ordered yeah. a seated abduction machine for your gym? Well, it's not just going to be seated. It's going to go all the way down. So you basically be able to train from zero up into flex. Because honestly, I think... I think I, I think of, of all of the ones I think the as we get closer to extension, I think there's more valuable more value in abduction closer to the extension plane than I think there is closer to the flexion plane for both the glutes and for what I just think people meet, need from a, uh, a joint health and, and performance perspective, you know, hypertrophy range or whatever. So it's not the exercise that I would choose for glute hypertrophy. So you were there. I okay. So the things I wonder. And this is what I wanted to explain to you because you made an hour-long video and you completely mistook the point. Remember that hinge post that you made an hour-long video retort with? 
Yeah, where you said that that you didn't have any check marks for the hinges. What I'm saying is the maximum, does it max out this capacity? It's just a theoretical thing that I've been thinking about a lot. Let's say I can give you, all right, we do a lot of glute volume. We're on glute specialization plans, but I give 36 sets a week for glutes. 12 of them are horizontal hip extension. 12 of the sets are vertical hip extension. 12 are abduction. Okay, if, 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 if I'm Matt, trying to match, like what we speculated, it's all theoretical, but what we talked about with the signaling, with the Titan, the nuclear flattening, and the, the filament three bag C or whatever, knowing what we know, or well, we don't really know much about those mechanisms, but trying to think, all right, for you to get a good, powerful, potent hypertrophy stimulus, you better have a ton of tension or a, a work use, working you in a big stretch or um, targeting a, a, a subdivision that you don't hit, that, that you don't hit well, you know, through the other exercise, through the main exercises, you know, like for the delt, best delt builders, well, no one would say the rear delt, you know, the real prone rear delt is the best delt exercise, but you better include one in there if you want total delt growth. Just like I think you better include some abduction movement if you want to maximize glute medius growth. But anyway, my point with that post was, and I said, I still do, deadlifts are my favorite exercise. In fact, I'm going to go for 675 on Friday. Um, it's my best exercise. But I just think of these things. Do you need hinges to maximize glute growth? Because you mentioned in your retort that you can get the same stretch in a hint, in a RDL than you can in a squat. And I'm going, no way. You get deeper because you bend the knee. You mentioned that. Well, it's all relative to how much you bend the knee in either one. Right, because you could squat like Lane Norton, or you could squat like a Chinese lifter. Like, yeah, but even though the well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if I go to here, this is far as I can go. You know, mm -hmm. my won't let me go further. But now, if I yeah. bend, I can go sink way deeper into hip flexion. Yeah. So that was my whole point with that. Wasn't to say I'm never giving deadlifts again. It's just a thought process. And I think the same thing about the seated hip abduction. I think, what are you maximizing? Are you getting the highest activation? And let's assume that activation is accurate, like EMG, which we know Andrew Gossi has pointed out. He's much smarter than me, that there are flaws with it, but I happen to love EMG. And I think with the case with the glutes, it works well because all of the moment arms for hip abduction, hip external rotation, and hip extension are highest in the shortened position when it's when the glutes are shortened so and the emg is usually highest in that too so it all lines up but i my point is with seated hip i don't know if it adds to the hypertrophy stimulus because does it is it going to stimulate things through titan is it going to no probably not is it going to stimulate things through nuclear flattening not as much as hip thrust will it's not going to stimulate titan as much as squats will is it going to target an area? I don't think it works the upper glutes quite as much as the lower glute max. You think it's more superficial. I, I need to know more. I need to learn more about that. The way my brain works yeah. right lower, but still, is it, does it add to the hypertrophy stimulus? But that's one thing I'm trying to get away from is that you and I used to be on this kick and you seem to be on this kick. It's got to be the best exercise. It's got to, it's got to be the perfect 
And lately I'm like, well, they like it. It's, it's kind of like penalty free volume. It doesn't beat you up. Maybe it works some subdivisions that it doesn't. So I include it, but I'm always curious because I always say in my seminars, I don't know jack shit right now. So I take a shotgun approach because there's so much I don't know. I would love to over time take a laser approach as I learn more, but there's so many things I wonder. But I agree with you. I'm kind of on the same page there. I include abduction, but I do agree that you'll get more abduction either doing a standing hip abduction or the 30-degree uh, kickback, which you mentioned, which we can talk about next if you're all right with. Yeah. Um, I think so that, so that we could just put this out practical so that there's just some, some understanding here is, is that, you know, because we're talking about – we're getting into our, our different views on exercise, right? And so – you know, we can look at things like the moment arms, we can look at line of pull, et cetera. And so I think as you're getting into this, because I know where you're going next, probably with the next exercise that you want to come at me with, um, is what to like, what makes a good exercise, right? And so like, to you before you move on, like, what, what boxes does it have to tick before like, I consider this a good exercise? What criteria? I guess it needs to have, oh God, high tension or, you know, high activation, high tension, um, move you through, either move you through a good range of motion or you better double up on exercises so you strengthen the full spectrum. Um, and then it needs to train, possibly train all the joint actions because there might be subdivisions that don't, you know, if all you did was, well, I know horizontal adduction for like pecs, you should still do some flies. Like you need variety. If you, all you did was presses and you did no flies or crossovers, I think you're missing out there. So I look for some variety, but um, yeah. And then, and then down to the individual level, do they feel it a lot? Mm -hmm. Does it die with there? Does it not cause pain? And do they feel like it works them a lot? And if you palpate, does it, does, does glutes get rock hard? Does it seem to make sense all, all across the board? But I have my various things. I'm sure you have your various things as well, which I'm curious to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So if I, if I just put this in here, you know, to CASM, what makes a good exercise, right? Is the first thing I'm looking at is, is like, well, does it make anatomical and biomechanical sense? And that's where we're basically able to look at line of pull and the range of motion that it's going to take that muscle through, right? So not just like how much range of motion, but where within its range of motion, is it getting to the short position and the lengthened position? Is it getting the full range or, or whatever, right? So that you can take that into context. And I would agree with you that if it doesn't cover, you know, a large range that you should probably have something else in your program to accommodate the range of motion um, that you aren't training, right? So that's my foundational basis that this should line up well, right? The next thing I'm looking at then is, is like, all right, can we then like if you want to say it's like well okay it should be good for tension but it's like well how do we how do we know this is good for tension and that's where then the proxies come in right like okay does it register well on emg can we measure the hemodynamics of it and see that like when you're doing this that the muscle is actually burning through and desaturating uh of oxygen right are there any longitudinal things or whatnot right so i think as we're going through these exercises is and you're like oh you know i'm trying to find like you look at us as like saying um you know like oh you guys are just saying it has to be this or whatever is what we're trying to find is, is like hey for this specific tissue what are the things that we could do to bias that the most 
And then basically from that, people can extrapolate the information of how similar other exercises are to this to get an idea of what's coming along with that, right? It's just another way of like, if they know that like, hey, you know, the clavicular head of the pec, right, is going to take me more up here. So the more my press looks like that thing and the less it looks like the decline thing, well, then the more of the upper and the less of the lower it's going to be, right? And yes, some people do take it as like, well, because we only like, we only talk about these exercises that are fairly specific because we don't talk about exercises where there's nothing to teach from, right? Like I don't need to teach people like, well, a bench press it, you know, you have it down and then you press, press it up, you know, congratulations or, or whatever. It's like, no, we're, we're trying to teach people exercises that essentially are informal in terms of the movement that they, that they provide. So then they can take that information and disseminate it across all other things. So I think it's important that we understand what we're qualifying as a good exercise, because then we can take something like the seated abduction exercise, and I could say, well, if I offered you another motion instead of transverse abduction that took those iliac glute max fibers, took them through a greater range of motion, got them both more of a stretch and more shortening, had a better line of pull, had a better moment the whole time measured better on EMG than 90 degrees transverse abduction, right? I'm sure you would be like, yeah, I, 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 would, I would opt for that exercise over the, the seated abduction, right? And that's essentially what we're seeing when we're moving in a plane of abduction and extension and a variety of those, right? As we're able to see, this seems to be a little bit superior on all of those metrics. And then the other one we have is the hemodynamics thing. But for this for this exercise specifically, it's not very good evidence because we just can't separate out the layers of the tissue because of basically it shoots light into the muscle and it reflects back. But we can't tell it to like not go into the, the deeper tissue, right? So if we're on the iliac glute, we're going to get posterior glute med at the same time, right? Or if we're on iliac and sacral glute, we're going to get, depending on how thick somebody's glutes are, we're just going to get whatever is in that radius that the, the sensor comes into, right? Um, so I think as, as we go into the, this is look at this through the lens of, you know, if you see me looking at different exercises, really what I'm looking at is just like, hey, what's the best choice that you could make if this was your specific goal and just arming people with that? I'm not anti- abduction. I'm not anti 90 degrees hip abduction. I'm just saying, look, if your goal is to train your iliac glute, I would choose this one here. And the way we do it does account for the individual anatomy because all of our instructions are based on individual anatomical landmarks, right? And like their slots. So like when we're looking at the, when we're teaching an event, people will, it's not 30 degrees. That's just what gets pushed on social media, it's the hip abduction and extension combination that actually leads to a significant like end stop for that person. And we teach them how to find that by how they approach the motion, if that makes sense. All right. So I think we're going to froggies. I, if oh, I'm guessing, right. So let's go. No, not yet. Okay. I do agree. I agree with your, your main point, but a couple of things like my, my buddy, Andrew Vygotsky, sometimes will be, you know, I argue with him and he's way smarter than me, but I don't always agree with him, knowing that he's smarter than me. <laughs> I don't want to agree with him. But he'll say what you say. Well, you can just look at functional anatomy. And I'm going, no, you can't always just look at functional anatomy. It's not always just looking at the fibers and predicting. Here's an example. And this one thing I'm curious about, here's the glute medius. I've never heard you say we need more than one exercise for the glute medius. When you've got very different, you know, mm -hmm. anterior, middle, posterior, 
the poster especially, but these researchers and they're 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 innovated just like you know they're innervated by different mm-hmm. um, branches of the superior gluteal nerve, and so these researchers wanted to look at you know EMG activity with the anterior, middle, and the posterior glute medius, and mm-hmm. they said, well, let's do abduction, internal rotation, and external rotation. They thought the looking at the anatomy, you think that the posterior fibers would cause hip external rotation, but via EMG, no, they did not. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have had that conclusion that they did. So that's exactly what I would have thought. But my point is sometimes, <laughs> what you mentioned earlier, you said the lower fibers of the gluteus maximus adduct. So I went into, a, this was 10, I, I, this was God, 2006. So no, sorry, it was right when my gym, okay, 2007. So 15 years ago, mm-hmm. I spent so much time with EMG with like, you know, I'd close the gym and then get in my underwear and <laughs> hike them up and throw sensors on me. And I, I tried to get adduction EMG from, from seated hip adduction, from standing hip adduction. I never registered anything in the low glute, gluteus maximus, but I look at the pictures. I look at the drawings and I say, it looks like it would adduct, but I would think the lower fibers would have to insert onto the inner portion of the of the femur in order for that to happen but they don't because i went to cadaver lab and i looked and they didn't quite like that's the extent i went that i went so, out where this myth is coming from and it was like published in like 1952 and then it never got duplicated in three subsequent emg experiments and even in one of the studies in the 60s said i think this is wrong this not nothing's been duplicated, but then it gets passed on in textbooks. But that's why we need EMG. We need other markers to to that that jibe with functional anatomy. Functional anatomy is huge, but it's yeah. not everything alone. We always need other things. But hi. Um, hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. I would disagree with you on the premise that it's not about the fiber direction and the anatomy. It's just that it's very hard to conceptualize, visualize, and model it. So we are wrong a lot. Well, you mentioned- But I have not found an instance where- You mentioned that the coccygeal glute max adducts, right? Yes, and I could get you to see that on EMG. But the thing is, you have to understand that that only happens when you get into the last bit of arc of hip extension. So if you try and do it outside of the mechanics of the hip joint, then you are not going to see it measurably, right? But if you were to follow the hip, on like frontal or transverse plane hip. No, so it's it's think of it like I mean, the hip, the the femur moves is like an arc, right? So basically, like, as you're in external rotation, and you're in hip extension, right? If you're now extending in the plane of the leg, you are going back towards midline behind the body, right? Hamstrings going to butt crack right there, right? And that is shortening those fibers. And we can measure the shit out of that. If you haven't figured that one out, like, like, we can show you, like, I'll take you down, I'll bet the house on like, hey, if we take and we move the hip like this, then those fibers are going to light up. You're saying as you move into hip extension, so yep, here, you're in, 
You're in hip extension and external rotation. Hip is uh, hip is flexed. Just come past. Just come to neutral for me, Brett. On the neutral. Right. Okay. So yeah. now, if you go yeah. into slight external rotation from there, right, yep. and then you externally rotate or you extend in the plane of the leg, now right. Now these. So now, five now extend in the plane of the leg, which would basically be approximating towards the sacrum and the coccyx. Right. No, it's not letting me do it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you you gotta get you gotta get the you gotta get the skeleton like I have that has the stringy thing, so you can move it more, right? Um, but I mean, you can do this with yourself if you want. If you just put your weight on one leg, right, and go in like just go into a little bit of hip extension, right? What you'll notice is that like you're in slight abduction when you just kind of do that extra rotation. But now, if you just try and extend in the plane to the leg, what you'll notice is that you can shorten back towards. The coccyx a little bit right as long as you have the range right yeah yeah so at the very end it comes back towards oh, midline because it functions on an arc right because you just see adduction you think yeah, of the, the hip adduction machine the vocabulary we have to describe things is very very limited which is why doing this stuff visually you know steve you need to find a way to get us on netflix or something um <laughs> is you know that's that's I think that's the only way that you can actually look at this stuff. And I think that's why when we look at biomechanists in general and a lot of the conclusions that get made and a lot of the points that get argued, it's because the a lot of the foundational information and the way people learn it is not in like a 3D live modeling. They learn it mostly through text and maybe they do some cadaver stuff but still a lot of the cadaver stuff you're not whipping that leg around into its full range of motion and stuff it's just like kind of laying there and you're trying to make decisions on global whole body movements by just how things are lined up in one position in a near infinite possibility of positions cadaver labs is like does that look like someone's glutes it's all flat and yeah know? yeah that's the other thing right this is everything's deflated like they're dehydrated and they're usually with elderly mm -hmm. so we need a whole new branch of science measured on like lifters that <laughs> that, that have rounder muscle bellies and, and and that are living tissue that are hydrated um but okay so with this glute medius kickback um so they did a, there was a study published, all right, and it looked at basically zero degree kickback, straight back, 15 degrees, 30, 45, 60, 70, 11, 90. So basically every 15 degree interval. So uh -huh. straight up 15, 30, 60, 75, and 90. And they even looked at both the swing limb and the stance limb. And um, anyway, the highest EMG was, uh, so like zero, zero got you 63, well, 64. And we, what are we talking about in the glute meat here or, glute or what? Glute, glute okay. meat, a percent MVIC 15 mm -hmm. degrees got you, uh, 59, 30 degrees got you 65. And then it went 54, 42, 44, 21. So 30 degrees actually gave the highest but it was it was 65 and zero degrees was 64 so they weren't you know obviously they're one percent off now that's emg activity um i'm going to look for this other thing i have on on moment arms but with um 
with uh, basically frontal plane, the frontal plane moment arms. I'll get to that in a second, but real quick, I trust that EMG. It's not like you're having crazy different lengths. So it looks like zero going straight out to the side and at a 30 degree is very similar with glute medius EMG. Do you agree or? Yeah, I mean, so if you're looking from the posterior division to the anterior division, what we kind of look at is, is basically around 30 degrees would be as much of the extension that we would go to. And then we're coming forward probably, a, you know, another 20-ish degrees here before we get into what we would model as more glute minimus territory. Now, keep in mind, that doesn't mean zero glute med before that or zero glute med after that. It's just like that's where we would put the sweet spot if we were going to to bias that. But obviously, with, uh, with surface EMG, we're only really able to measure the middle and not even really the full anterior portion of the glute med, right, without a tremendous amount of interference. So you think that, so it's your contention that uh, the TFL and the uh, glute minimus are the most active straight out to the side, the, the most in the glute medius does, what do you think, nothing or a little bit or? Well, yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still, I mean, you got to remember that like when you move like over to just like the next closest motion, is that muscle still going to be doing a decent amount, right? And it just, it's just a scale is the further away you get that, right? So if we look at the anterior portion of the TFL, which is abduction and, you know, an actual bit of flexion plane, right? If you do that, yeah, you're going to get very little of the posterior fibers of the glute med but a little bit more of the anterior fibers of glute med, right? And you're going to get more of the glute min respectively because you're just moving closer and closer to where those fibers line up, right? So it just kind of functions on a gradient. Kasim, I just want to flag up. I know you said you had two hours for this and we have yeah. gone <laughs> for two hours. So I just want to make sure that you're okay for time. We probably yeah, should uh, call it within the next like 15 anyway, but how are you? Yeah, I'm I'm good on time. So okay, yeah. So this is again on open sim. You look at frontal plane moment arms, and then I'll show you moments because that takes into account the force production. But this is in the frontal plane. You got glute medius up here, then you got glute minimus down here, and then TFL down here. So it looks like in the frontal plane, the glute medius. Even if the angle isn't 30 degrees, it has way bigger moment arms. And then you look at the moment for abduction. N negative is better here because this is abduction. This is glute medius, glute minimus, TFL. So according to the most accepted modeling of the top biomechanists, they would say that the glute medius it got, carried, is mainly responsible for frontal plane hip abduction and you're I've read from you you've said glute medius does nothing in the frontal plane it's all it's all glute minimus and tfl but there's a stark contrast between what the top biomechanists and their models are saying and then your model do you yeah no that's not what i've said on public well i've heard you say i haven't said it's zero no at, in the frontal plane i mean i think i think i've heard you say that a couple of times like no, not, I think at this point in time, I think I feel like you think I'm like six people, but okay. 
uh, let's let's say that I did, and I'll just I'll just rebuke to everybody out there that no, the frontal plane hip abduction is not zero glute medius. As I watched this means. video that you made last night on um, critiquing my chart, and it says like none. I don't know, could be wrong though. But you so you disagree with that? Then you think it is a little bit of glute medius, but you don't agree with the percentages. You think that the modeling is off? No, I just don't think like. With open sim, okay, when we're looking at the moments or moment arms, either or, right, and we're, we're looking at torque or whatnot, that doesn't account for the specificity of moment, or I'm sorry, the specificity of the direction of pull of that tissue. So what you're looking at at open sim, right, is a possibility of force in that specific vector, right? And that's different than if you were to just take a stim and just fire that muscle and it were to contract in its exact motion versus because we'll put it this way like so like you have the pec right and it attaches you know on the humerus in a way that would internally rotate it but you can't make the pec just internally rotate the arm even though it has a moment to do so because the pec can't produce rotational force without also producing a deduction the pec can only produce all of its force vectors collectively. It can only produce pec force, right? Which is accumulation of vectors, right? So it's like, well, okay, it's how much of a rotation moment versus how much of an adduction moment and whatever flexion is in there, all relative to those specific positions. So in the instance where- Well, like we can do, so the glute max, you think it just- you, you think the glute max is mainly just a hip extensor. I think it's a hip extensor, hip external rotator, and hip abductor. But we can choose one motion. What happens is you get, you know, that's why you have special, you know, functional subdivisions. You activate the precise moment, like the timing, the sequence, the activation to carry out straight leg kickbacks versus at an angle versus kicking back and turning to the side. You might have co-contraction of other muscles, but it's, it's a sequence, it's a timing, it's a coordination thing. I think you can. I don't think, because you're assuming just all the fibers contract and they all do the same thing all at once. You know what I mean? I don't agree with that. You So the glute can't rotate the hip without producing the other forces that it's at, right? Now, that doesn't mean that it does like the totality of the functions listed like in a book all at once it just means that at that point in time like if that tissue is pulling whatever the net rotation extension aba deduction is of that pole all of that happens to the varying degree for that position so that means that the amount of external rotation that occurs with the glute is respective to its line of pull right which is going to be affected right you're seeing if the whole muscle contracts at 100 percent all at once all well, no, if it, even if it contracts, like if, if it contracts at 2% or 100%, doesn't matter. It's still going to be a net of those forces right there. But front that raise. does. How would you do a you front, if you did a front raise and the rear delts are going to contract as hard as possible? Like well, obviously, front raise, you'll have more activation of the front delt and less activation of the rear delt to carry out that motion. All the delts don't fire all at once and it we can specialize in motion. Oh well, yeah, no. Yes. But if you take because I mean, because you have three anterior delts, right? We just talk about those. We know that the posterior delt is not good. Like 
I think you're misinterpreting that I'm saying that like the entire hip, the entire hip is going to fire all at once. It's like, no, you're going to coordinate all of the divisions of all of the muscles that are involved in that. Right. And the net of all of that creates whatever motion that you are trying to do. This is why the specificity comes into play versus just looking at just the moment of a single muscle, looking at it in a single plane. Right. This is where I look at the line of pull. I have a nice muscle that does it's in a perfect position that doesn't always work out in the human body. Like there, there's a muscle that is a no. perfect pull. Like, like, can you think of any muscle? No, that has sometimes a, it's a collective effort. Yeah. Hip internal rotation. What muscle has the slightest bit of a good line of pull for hip internal rotation? Well, it depends on where the hip is. Oh. The same thing. That's the same for every motion though, right? None of them, right? In spinal rotation, what muscle has a good, there's no perfect muscle that wraps around and it shortens and twists your body. It's kind of a zigzag of things. Yeah. Yes. Right. So with, with anyway, it's my contention that you get for with glute medius. I would love to hear you start saying side hip abductions work. The glute medius, they don't only work the TFL and the, and the, and the, uh, glute minimus. They also work the glute medius. I happen to prefer the 30 degree kickback, but EMG has shown them to be equal with glute medius activity. And according to open sim modeling, um, Unless you want to say, here's why my modeling is better and publish it and then let those authors um, counter your position, then right now I'm going to default to like what the open model says until I see yours. And I'm not saying my mind wouldn't change. I just think based on palpation and all the things I feel like you can just when you when it when when I see these posts that say hip frontal plane hip abduction, no glute medius and I go. And I, like, if I just raise my leg up to the side, this is rock hard, rock hard, solid. I you can know? see the rocks. <laughs> of course it's gonna, of course it works the glute medius. Mm -hmm. I just wish you could tone some things down so I don't get so much flack. I wish I had this screenshots that I've made of these people come after me every time I do a frog pump, every time I seated hip abduction, anytime I do anything now I get attacked by it probably isn't even your followers anymore it's like followers of the people who parrot you but mm -hmm. you've introduced this and i wish you would tone things down a bit so i didn't get attacked because i feel like i'm oh great i'm gonna post a frog pump and people are gonna lose their shit you know i mean and we haven't talked about the frog pump yet yeah i mean So guys, I'm just gonna walk you through some of my take-homes again, like I did from part one of this discussion. Again, if you have different take-homes, please do let us know in the comments and that would be very much appreciated. So something I took home was that it's unlikely that any exercise is 100% a single muscle group. It's likely it's just biased towards that. And that what makes an exercise a good exercise is getting a muscle through a full range that lines up quite well, that trains all actions of the muscle and maybe therefore you need some variety and a, a number of different exercises, for example, to train every function of the hamstrings. You want to have hip extension like an RDL and you also want to have knee flexion like a leg curl. 
it's important to train every function if we want to maximize hypertrophy. We want to be able to get good tension. We don't want to get any pain or discomfort during that movement and that it feels good to the individual. This is something that makes a good exercise or exercise selection for a particular muscle group. And that again, differences of opinion, at least from this episode and from a large part of the discussion here, actually. And I think you see this with experts in the field where there's quite a bit of nuance and maybe some unknowns is just down to kind of what's more important to draw from various data points, such as functional anatomy, the N1 lab versus EMG, open sim and palpitation and this sort of thing between the two guys and their experience within the field. But again, let me know what you think, guys. It'd be great to hear what you're thinking and stay tuned for part three and we'll catch you soon. Take care. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We cap them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.